Well, good morning and welcome once again to our service today from the Wodonga and District Baptist Church, wherever you happen to be meeting. I know that there are a couple of neighbourhood churches meeting in New South Wales, so well done to you guys for taking some initiative in this space. We recognise that had circumstances been slightly different today, our New South Wales cohort would not by and large have been able to travel to church in Victoria but we're not able to do church in Victoria at all now so good work to those who have reformed their neighbourhood churches and to others who are gathering in their homes wherever you might be in Wodonga, in Albury, in the district around about us or far afield, far away from us we want to bring our greetings to you today. I did uh, joke a little in the email that I sent out last night just highlighting the prayer meeting that was happening today that it's a church that's mightily blessed when there are more people in attendance in person at a prayer meeting than there are in the gathering of the congregation and today that will certainly have been the case because we're just here today with myself and Will and Phil, just the three of us in this building. It's uh, empty, it's <coughs> not all that pleasant actually being here without a congregation but we're glad to be able to bring this service to you today. My first teaching appointment way back in around 1987 was to a little, Portland, a little Lutheran school in Portland in the far southwest of Victoria. The experience in teaching in that school was an overwhelmingly positive one. I was allocated a grade six class, I was teaching there for three days a week and to be honest they were a delightful group of children, they were pretty much well behaved across the board, they were hungry to learn. Uh, it was a lovely new environment that we were in, new classroom, new resources. Um, apart from the usual subjects that I had to teach, I was also charged with teaching an hour of Bible each day, which was also good fun, which fit very much inside the vision of the school, captured in their motto, which said, praise, love and serve. The school actually had some little lapel badges made, uh, and there's a photo of that that you might be able to see which incorporated the motto, motto Portland Lutheran School Praise, Love and Serve. It was an attractive little blue badge that uh, the staff and students wore any time they were at school and I was glad to be able to get one and was happy to wear it. Partway through that same year, 1987, I actually received an appointment with the Department of Education and so moved from the far southwest of Victoria into East Gippsland to Hayfield, uh, a school with a completely different environment and a classroom with a totally different tone to the one that I'd been used to. My class, uh, the new class, was a grade four, five, six. It was a group of students who'd been brought together, some who struggled in the school, had been allocated into the same class with a very experienced teacher who then moved up in terms of his responsibility and so I came in as a very new teacher into this classroom, uh, a group of students who resented the fact that they'd lost the teacher that they loved, had this new person in that they didn't know and so created quite some difficulties. I would go home at night and plan the program for the next day like a general planning to invade unknown territory and there were times when I seemed to be able to make some advances in that space and sometimes where I had to retreat in that space. 
on the darkest of days, on those days when things were the most difficult, as a reminder in a way of days gone, I would wear that little badge, that little blue badge from the Portland Lutheran School and it wasn't as though it was a talisman or a good luck charm or anything like that, far from that. It was kind of a silent protest at uh, the world that I found myself part of, that this was not all there was, that this is not the only thing uh, that I had in my life. There were better times that I've experienced and there would be better times ahead beyond what the Apostle Paul might have said as our light and momentary troubles. There was light and there was love and there was hope. And I've kept that badge through the years. I haven't been wearing it for a long time. I went rummaging around in our, our box of treasures the other night looking for it and found it there and was delighted to see it was still there. And I was seriously tempted to get it out on Thursday night when it was announced that Victoria was entering its sixth COVID-19 lockdown and to put it on and to just be reminded that there were better days in the past and that there will be better days in the future. This reminder that in the midst of all of the th things that are going on, there is light and love and hope. And if I could have got a box full of those little badges, I would have given them out to everyone around me, my family and friends, if I could see them, uh, uh, just to say, you know, look beyond the immediate circumstances that we're in because uh, there is love and light and hope in our world. Well, today we're going to change gears totally in our service to that which is normal. We'll be bringing a service to you quite unlike any that we've done in my experience here in Wodonga and certainly across the years in ministry, different to my experience altogether. Thursday was an interesting day. I had an inkling early in the day just as I was travelling. I heard some snippets on the radio that um, there'd been a few more cases in Melbourne and that there was a potential for another snap lockdown, uh, had the opportunity to do a pastoral visit out to Mount Beauty which was a great delight to go and visit our youngest uh, congregation member out there and we just give our greetings to Brahm and Jess and to Avi and uh, just acknowledge the blessing of God in that space. And then as we finished that visit, heard on the radio and then received a flurry of text messages from people in the church, some of our staff and others, to say that there's been another lockdown announced, another seven days. And as, uh, as somebody mentioned in an email to me this week, you know, the hardest thing about a seven-day lockdown is the first two weeks. And there was a, a palpable heaviness that came upon me in that space and it can't be captured by the phrase well here we go again although we might have said that you probably know what i mean when i speak about that heaviness it was a mixture for me of frustration and anger and disappointment and annoyance and grief and then more anger and then loss and defeat and exhaustion and misery and unhappiness and exasperation and infuriation which is anger multiplied a number of times over uh, you know just about every negative emotion that you can pull from the thesaurus when is this madness that we live in going to end i um, had as i said received a few texts backwards and forwards been in touch with matt before i left mount beauty and we'd made some adjustments already in that space to our program for today but then 
in the hour or so that it took uh, to drive back, I was sitting and thinking, what, is, what does it actually mean for us as a congregation? What does this mean for us as people? And as I was driving, it became clearer that we needed to respond today in our service in a way a little differently to what we might normally have planned. When I got back here to Wodonga, the phone messages, I was able to check and found that Matt had been thinking along exactly the same line. So we've made a total readjustment to our program. You see, one of the accusations that is frequently made of the church by those outside the church is that we're out of touch. We don't deal with the issues that people are wrestling with. We're not in touch with the things that are exercising people. We're out of touch with what people have experienced. We're out of touch with the questions that they're asking. We're out of touch with the grief that they're experiencing. And so we've changed what we're doing today because I think it's important we take some time to speak into the grief that we're experiencing, to speak about the loss that we're experiencing, to reorient ourselves to God in that space. You know, by the time we come here in Victoria to the sixth lockdown you'd think well we've done it before uh, we know what we're going to do again we'll make it work we'll be all right but my sense is that this time it is somehow different that there is an added layer of heaviness for people uh, that that people are struggling like never before and so we're going to cut away most of that which is familiar in our service today i'm not going to pretend for one moment that the world is all right we're not just going to do what we normally do as though nothing's happened in our world we're going to deal with what's right before us and most pressing at the moment and that is the grief and the loss and the pain that we experience as once again life is disrupted our capacity to worship together is disrupted as our plans and our good plans we had great plans for this weekend uh, uh, different things over the weekend have been blown away and so today i want to speak with you and speak with some earthy honesty which might be confronting for some but may be refreshing for others about the process that we need to go through the process that we need to acknowledge and in that process drill down into the promises of God as that safe anchoring place for us but I'm not going to go straight there which we do sometimes do because there is an important step that we need to go through in our experience some months ago our staff team were reflecting on the challenges we faced in rebuilding teams of volunteers uh, reigniting the passion for the things that we were doing getting people back on board with activities and despite the fact that for the most part we had had to shut down most things for almost a year in 2020 many people uh, were saying you know i'm not able to commit again i just need a break and at first we were kind of a little bit bemused by this we were saying you need a break you've just had a year off what do you mean you need a break and then it struck me, and we talked about this, that every single person, not just those of us engaged in uh, upfront ministry, but every person engaged in ministry, every person in our church was struggling with the same emotion, and we named it as trauma fatigue. 2020 was a year of massive change and dislocation, and there was deep grief, 
experienced in that place and every one of us, whether we realised it or not, could name it as having been traumatised. Now you might think, hang on a second, you know, a trauma is something that happens in a car accident, you know, happens in an instant and it's visible and it's easy to see and it's easy to track the cause or the root that sits under it but trauma happens in all sorts of ways and the experience that we collectively have shared through 2020 was an experience that added to trauma or contributed to trauma because trauma is not something that happens only in an instant it can happen accumulative it accumulates over time and here we are in 2021 with the continual imposition of lockdowns which has sustained even added to the experience of trauma and the grief and loss of 2020 is being revisited again and again only now with new and uh, creative nuances as rules change constantly around gathering limits and we're left scratching our heads sometimes trying to figure out what they actually mean travel to and from across the border is made more complicated can you do it can you not do it who's allowed to do it the total prohibition of visitors to our homes that's really exercising me at the moment uh, the web pages and pages and pages of them that communicate the ever-changing rules they're getting bigger and more complicated it's kind of like a bureaucrat's dream when you look at them the people who are bureaucratically inclined must be just investing in that space because a, a simple statement of here are the rules has grown to something enormously long to be serious there's been times where I've gone looking for information to know how to shape what we do and I've just given up because it's just too hard there's so much information there and, and I know that ignorance is no excuse but there are times where I've left quite ignorant at times there seems to be an equilibrium that we achieve we kind of get things happening life's almost normal except for those annoying things that we call face masks um, but then it all crashes again and we have grief piled upon grief piled upon grief and I've deliberately called it grief which might also seem a little bit at odds with our experience we think of grief as something we experience when someone dies but at its core grief is loss and it can be loss of anything loss of a loved one loss of opportunity loss of plans loss of dreams loss, loss of vision loss of whatever it might be grief most simply described as loss on the local news here in Albury Wodonga on Friday night a, a number of local business owners were interviewed describing their frustration and loss and having their livelihoods forcibly curtailed again I, I don't know how some people are surviving in business I really do not know the disbelief and the anger and the grief that they were expressing was very real and quite palpable and those are easy, easy people to identify, but there's grief in all sorts of places. Let me name some of the other places, and some of these will resonate very, very richly with some of you. Families have been separated from one another. Grandparents have not been able to visit grandchildren. Grandchildren have not been able to visit grandparents. People have not been able to visit parents. Children haven't been able to see parents. Parents haven't been able to see children. People who've been hospitalised for the simplest of procedures have been denied visitors. And we know that having visitors and having connection is so important to the mental and emotional health which impacts our physical health and yet that space has been closed off. 
couples even couples in our own church have been denied the opportunity to celebrate one of the most significant milestones in their lives their marriages with the friends and family that they'd so long to do you know from a young age dreaming about this special day and who would be part of that and the community building that goes on in that space and we joke about the fact that you know you can have a cheap wedding nowadays you don't have to invite those hundred guests and pay for them but there's loss in that space and critically too um, people who've passed away and family have not been able to be present to find closure in that part of life birthdays have come and gone without fanfare i was grumbling about this um, maybe on the phone last night i think about the fact that um, if this lockdown continues as it looks like it probably will this will be the second year in a row that i won't be able to invite my two friends for my birthday now don't spend the rest of the service wondering who those two people are please um, there's actually three uh, but it, it, a minor thing perhaps but not necessarily uh, that minor just another thing that adds to our grief elderly people have been quarantined and left alone in their own homes ostensibly to keep them safe but in the process they've been condemned to loneliness and isolation and at risk of depression and they're not the only ones employment's drying up for some children have been denied education there are families in crisis who have been forced to be in the same space and we know the statistics around uh, family violence we know the statistics around suicide and the risk of suicide uh, have have been raised significantly our world and our community is characterized by fear and uncertainty like we've never experienced before the pandemic quite literally has divided us too you know i reflected with people on many occasions how uh, in the past we would consider our nation as one but now it's a group of states vying almost competing one against the other the pandemic has divided us the preponderance of social media and the politicization of the whole process the whole crisis has left us no longer sure of where truth lies who do you listen to where do you get good information who do you trust where do you find information that you can rely on and we've experienced grief in the church and we haven't been able to gather which is so fundamental to who we are last week those who fell in the a to k range were fortunate enough to be able to be here test out the new seats today there is no one here and it's hard we expected this week that our new south wales members those not directly involved in the service would be precluded from attending i kind of hoped we would have had a flurry of people offering to join our teams of volunteers and maybe that'll yet happen as we've regathered in our faltering manner we've uh, we've been saddened because a number of people who used to be part of our family are not here and we don't know why some people have just not reconnected attendance patterns have changed one of the observations that I've made, and I'll be really blunt in saying this, is that those who are a bit uh, peripheral or loosely connected in the church, uh, we, they've gone, we've lost them. Although we pump it up and we're thankful for the technology and the expertise that allows us to do church online, we are so glad we can do that. Uh, watching a service on the television at home instead of being here really is a poor substitute. And I know we 
have joked in the past about how we can uh, we can sit in our mockies and watch church with a coffee in our hand or we can be doing our ironing and that sort of stuff while we listen into the service but it's a very poor substitute for gathering with other Christians and let's be honest if you're going to watch a service online there are churches who have uh, far better preachers much better budgets in terms of their technology much higher production values glitzier stages than ours mind you those are the pastors that will not be there uh, sitting with you during a crisis they're the ones who won't be able to visit you in hospital but if you want to be pumped up a bit each week there are going to be preachers online who are far better at it than I'll ever be as a leadership in our church our elders and our staff team finding ourselves a bit stuck sometimes we want to move forward we dream about moving forward and we know that God will lead us forward but it's hard to do that when we can't see beyond next week and on occasions there's even a sense of heaviness in our services and I think partly that can be attributed to the sense of loss that we experience together all of these things uh, contribute to our grief now please understand I'm not making uh, these statements to make a political statement or to say that things could have been managed differently to be brutally honest if I was the premier I'm not sure what I would have done how I would have managed this crisis none of us know hindsight's a wonderful thing it's easy for us to look back and said well this is what should have happened but leaders have to make decisions they don't have the luxury of being able to have opinions like the rest of us do but every scenario that I've just described and more are very real there are very real consequences to what we have collectively experienced in the past 18 months and when it is all put together there's a lot of grief over the past year or so uh, I've spoken with faithful Christians and we have lamented some of these losses you know somebody might ask me how how is it going for you as a pastor in the church or we'll talk about how things are going in the community they are interesting conversations occasionally and almost on cue someone has said uh, having talked a little bit some of these things having heard just a little someone will say something like this isn't it good that God is still in control or we have so much to be thankful for even in spite of our circumstances and I know that these statements are true if I didn't believe them to be true I wouldn't be here but I've got to be truthful with you and say there are times when the timing of those statements grates on me a little bit over the years as a pastor I've journeyed with a large number of people who have lost a loved one and I've discovered that sitting with them in the grief is actually the very best thing that you can do even though it's hard to do sitting with them in the pit is an expression a friend of mine who lost his son to brain cancer said the hardest thing to do is to sit with a person in the pit and not offer them advice not offer them trite statements that we think might act as an encouragement the absolutely worst thing you can do in that case is say well you know never mind you'll get over it tomorrow will be a better day isn't it good that God's got all this in hands on occasions when I've expressed my grief at the loss 
and a well-meaning person has chimed in with a theologically correct but perhaps mistimed affirmation of God's sovereignty. I've kind of smiled my assent because that's the right thing to do but to be brutally honest, what I've wanted to say is, have you not heard a thing that I've just been saying? Do you understand what I've just described to you? It seems to me that we Christians, and I count myself guilty too in this regard, are inclined to jump from grief to an affirmation of the power and love and reality of God so quickly that we risk denying the reality and the extent and the impact of grief. You know, we would not, for instance, say to a person who had lost a loved one on Wednesday that everything will be fine tomorrow on Thursday. So why do we do it? when we experience other kinds of grief and as I've reflected on this uh, I've wanted to say to the well-meaning person you know if you deny the reality of what I'm feeling or minimize the degree or legitimacy of what I've been experiencing you actually minimize my humanity have you actually heard what I'm saying have you have you any empathy for what I'm feeling or worse do you care at all if you're not prepared to acknowledge the legitimacy of what I feel, whether right or wrong, you don't really acknowledge me. And I'm convinced that if we're to flourish in the context that we currently find ourselves in, we need to acknowledge the grief. We need to name the grief. And in doing that, grieve well. And this is not for one moment to deny the presence of God in this space or the activity of God in this space, or the presence of God in this space. Not for one second, expressing grief and loss and sitting with it for some time might appear to some to be a lack of faith or a crisis of faith or even a challenge to faith for some, but it's actually really important. It's a legitimate step in processing grief, acknowledging the legitimacy of the reality that we share before we can reorient ourselves to a loving God who meets us not only in the light and the joy but in the darkness and loss and to be frankly honest with you if God is not a God in those places as well then he's not worth our worship is he if God only meets us in light and joy what kind of God is he but he does meet us in those dark places as well so how should we respond in this place of grief and loss you know as I was thinking about these things coming in the other day um, the phrase your praise is always on my lips came to mind it kind of kept resonating with me your praise is always on my lips it's a phrase that comes from the mouth of David possibly while he was hiding out from stall uh, not from stall he didn't ever go to stall from Saul hiding out from Saul hiding amongst the Philistines it comes from Psalm uh, chapter 34 verse 1 they were not happy times for David he was a man who was running for his life and in this psalm he said I will extol the Lord at all times his praise will always be on my lips and I kind of wondered why it was that David said his praise will be on my lips I was hoping and this is a classic example of what we call eisegesis which is a technical word means uh, putting your interpretation on the scripture I was hoping that it was because there are times when 
we can praise God with our lips but we don't necessarily feel it in our hearts and I wondered whether that was the case for David maybe his circumstances were so appalling that he could praise God with his lips but in his heart he was just not feeling the love so to speak and I wondered that because in the midst of grief it's actually hard to praise God in our hearts the best we can do perhaps is to maintain a posture of praise by doing it even when we don't feel like it and there's a truckload of advice that you'll find in books and online uh, that address this if you're just disconnected if you're not feeling like praising God the best thing you can do is actually engage in praise and feelings follow actions but let's be brutally honest here for a second too during a time of crisis or grief or loss we actually find ourselves not too far away from the lament of the people of Israel as they sat by those rivers in Babylon as they were taken into exile as they were ripped away from their homeland as their captors and you'll find this in Psalm 137 as their captors there said sing us songs of your homeland play us some music and they said how can we sing songs of the Lord in this strange land you see their grief was so heavy they couldn't even raise their voices in praise have you ever stood in church carrying a heavy burden something's happening in your marriage uh, something's happening with your children there's a health crisis that you're facing there's other things in the workplace there's just brokenness in your life and you've stood here and you've heard yourself singing the words but you just haven't felt it inside if we were truthful i think most of us would say that has been our experience at some point and as I looked at Psalm 34 verse 1, those words of David, I was convinced that I would be reading scripture out of context because that's not the context that David was coming from. It seems clear that David was in a place that he wanted to say good things about God. Um, his praise nevertheless required an action of the will, a determination on his part to engage in that even though his circumstances might have conspired against that and in some senses that's the place that we're in as i was thinking more about this i was uh, reflecting on a, a passage from hebrews hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 where the author said through jesus therefore let us continually offer to god a sacrifice of praise the fruit of lips that openly profess his name now it's easy to praise god when things are going well in life I remember looking back there's been many times where I've just been kind of walking on air so to speak and it's easy to praise God in those places when you're married for instance you know that first flush of excitement uh, and you're just thanking God for your circumstances when children are born when you get a new job there's a million times uh, we could look back and we just praise God out of the effervescent joy in our hearts the first day that you on holidays and you pull back the blinds and it's a beautiful sunny day here in the northeast and it's easy to say thank you lord you know i don't have to go to work today and i've got all this opportunity what a wonderful day it's easy to praise god when good things are going down but you will notice in this passage that the author to hebrews said we are to continually offer a sacrifice of praise now, I don't know about you, I used to sing this little song in Sunday school, We Bring a Sacrifice of Praise into the House of the Lord. Uh, it, was, um, it was a great little song. We 
sit up there and beef it out. And as I think about it now, I realise I had absolutely no idea what I was thinking about. Because the word sacrifice implies a cost. And a sacrifice of praise, which is praise that comes at some cost. As a young person in Sunday school, sitting up there in the back row with all my mates, you know, we were having a great time. It was a wonderful time. We had not a care in the world. We were, we were at school and all that stuff, but goodness, as I look back, I think, what were we worried about any of that stuff for? We were having a grand time in Sunday school. It was youth group days. We were up there suddenly noticing that these girls that we'd been growing up with took on a whole new dimension. <laughs> a very exciting time of life. Praising God in the good times is easy and costs me little, but praising God in the midst of grief demands a personal discipline and the adoption of a posture which is at odds to our carnal nature. It's the difference between praising God for our circumstances and praising God in our circumstances. And as we delve into the scripture, we see this evidenced time and time and time again by the faithful men and women of God. In the book of Job, for instance, Job describes the acute grief that he was experiencing time and time and time again. If you read this book, he articulates the grief and the loss. And one of the interesting observations that we could make uh, from the book of Job is that his, his friends that gathered around him, his so-called friends, were in a terrible hurry to rationalise and justify what was going on and move him on. They just wanted to move him on out of that place. They didn't have the time to hear his lament. They, his lament offended their ears. None of them were prepared to sit in the dust with him. But as Job processed his lament... The place he ultimately ended up with uh, was an acknowledgement of God. In Job 13, verse 15, speaking of God, Job said, Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. A sacrifice of praise. No matter these circumstances, yet will I orient myself to God. And in perhaps one of the greatest affirmations of a literal and physical resurrection... Evidence through the Old Testament, Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives and in the end he will stand on the earth. Now that statement suggests that Job expects there might be a few things that are going to happen between his experience and when that takes place. After my skin has been destroyed, he said, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. This longing for something beyond his circumstances, oriented towards God. The same faithful men and women of God uh, recognised patience, the importance of patience in this process as well. In Psalm chapter 40, verse 1, David said, I waited patiently for the Lord, he turned to me and heard my cry. Now, if we were looking at that verse, most of the time we would focus on the action of God, wouldn't we? He turned to me and heard my cry. Isn't God good? He turns to us and he hears our cry. We skip over uh, what David says there in that first stanza. I waited patiently for the Lord. It suggests to me that there are times where we just need to sit and wait and wait for God to act. 
In the book of Lamentations, we have a collection of Hebrew poetry that articulates the deep grief of the people of Israel uh, exiled from God. It's a book that may have been written by Jeremiah. It's a fascinating, uh, fascinating book. I have it open here and I was looking at it just a moment ago. Lamentations chapter 1 verse 1 says, How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. Is that not a timely word for today? How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she who was once great amongst the nations. Now for three long chapters, uh, Jeremiah, if Jeremiah is indeed the author, laments the circumstances that the people are in. But then, uh, having articulated this bone-aching grief, uh, comes to chapter 3, verse 24, where he says, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Notice that statement, therefore I will wait, as an affirmation of God and God's sovereignty in his circumstance, but I will wait, a sacrifice of praise. The author doesn't see an immediate end to the crisis. The author doesn't expect God just to snap his fingers and make everything right, but he does acknowledge the sovereignty of God over his circumstances and his sacrifice of praise is to wait upon the Lord just as is ours, to wait upon the Lord. If we were to sing a song this morning, it would have been one chosen, I think, probably from the Hillsong collection, a song called Highlands or Song of Ascent. You'll be familiar with the chorus that goes like this. It kind of grabs a few of the thoughts that I've just been reflecting on. I will praise you on the mountain and I will praise you when the mountain is in my way. You're the summit where my feet are, so I will praise you in the valleys all the same. No less God within the shadows, no less faithful when the night leads me astray, because you're the heaven where my heart is, in the highlands and the heartache all the same. That's a great chorus. There's some other words in that song I'm still not 100% sure I understand, but the chorus articulates in some senses, the words that we need on our lips today. We will praise God, a sacrifice of praise, uh, when the mountain is in our way, when we can't see the way forward, when things are unclear, when the grief is uh, piled upon us. We will praise God in the valleys, because God is no less God in the shadows than He is in the light. God is the God of love and light in the midst of of that darkness. As we conclude our service today, I'm going to read a selection of passages from Scripture, all passages that were written by the ancient Israelites to express lament, to put words into that which they were feeling, the loss and the grief that they were experiencing, but passages which ultimately reoriented them towards a good and loving God. Once I've read these, and I'll just uh, let you know where they're from so that you can check them out for yourself if you like, we're going to pray and we'll conclude our service today. From Lamentations chapter 3, verses 17 to 26. I've been deprived of peace. I've forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendour is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord... I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. 
Because of, the God, because of God's great love for us, we're not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for Him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him, to the one who seeks Him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. From Psalm 44. We have heard it with our ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us what you did in their days, in days long ago. With your hand you drove out the nations and planted our ancestors. You crushed the peoples and made our ancestors flourish. It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you love them. But now you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You have made us retreat before the enemy, and our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a pittance, gaining nothing from their sale. You have made us a reproach to our neighbours, the scorn and derision of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations. The peoples shake their heads at us. All this came upon us, though we had not forgotten you. We had not been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back. Our feet had not strayed from your path. If we'd forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it since he knows the secrets of our hearts? Awake, O Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and opposition? We're brought down to the dust, our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us, rescue us because of your unfailing love. Psalm 74 verses 9 and 12. We are given no signs from God, no prophets are left and none of us knows, long how, uh, none of us knows how long this will be. But God is my King from long ago. He brings salvation to the earth. And our last verse from Psalm 79, verse 9. Help us, God our Saviour, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and forgive sins for your name's sake. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, today we wait upon you. We acknowledge that as we reflect today, we are experiencing a heaviness, a frustration, a disappointment, even an anger at our circumstances, circumstances that are largely beyond our control, but circumstances that are not beyond your control nor your capacity to engage. Today, Lord, we have named the grief that we are experiencing. Of course, we're very mindful that what we are currently facing doesn't compare to the crises others face every day in countries ravaged by war or famine or disaster. We don't know the pain of being persecuted for our faith, but even so, Lord, we need to be authentic, recognising the impact that our circumstances are having on our lives, our lives together in church, our lives together in the broader community. And Lord, our desire as your people is to be authentic, to take off the masks that we sometimes need to wear in the church and to be real 
acknowledging our humanity but concurrently acknowledging the life and the hope that there is in the Spirit's life in us. So quickly and so easily we turn to well-worn answers that we think people want to hear without acknowledging that even for us they sometimes sound hollow in our ears. Lord Jesus, we're told in the Scriptures to give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ for us. But we do sometimes find it hard to articulate our thoughts, artificial in the way that we say things and not necessarily convinced that we actually mean what we even say. We long to give thanks, Lord, uh, because we need to, not because we're an ungrateful people. Help us, we ask, to lift our eyes from our circumstances, to wait upon you, the one who provides us with strength and sustenance. Lord, we look to you, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for our sake endured the suffering of the cross. Today we pray for one another. Help us to be quick to listen and slow to speak as we travel through life together. We pray for those in our community who are isolated, for the elderly who are confined to their homes alone, for the single parent who has to manage a job and a home and remote learning, uh, separated from the support of family and friends. We pray for those whose mental health has been seriously compromised by this climate of fear and anxiety that we're in, for people who struggle to make sense of the world and who uh, are cut out from the networks of support that they rely on. Lord, we pray for our governments and those in leadership as we are called to do. We acknowledge, God, that they are only people and who are for the most part acting with the best of intentions and with the best that human wisdom can provide. We are so conscious of the shortcomings of ourselves in that space and so we pray for them. Help them as we bring them before your throne of grace to be empowered with your wisdom and instead of bringing them down with complaints and criticism, insults and derision, may we build them up with our prayer. We pray for our church, that in the midst of yet more changes and this cessation of normal activity and the inertia that creeps up on us again, we may rise above that. We acknowledge that it has been important for us to gather, but in the climate of restrictions it's been hard for us to gather and yet that gathering is just one element of who it is that we are. Help us to see beyond that, we pray, and experience your work in ways that we've not seen it before. Lord, we pray for our neighbours too, for those we live alongside and among. Let our light and love, the light and love of Jesus, be so clear and obvious to them that they too turn to you for their strength, hope and future. Lord, we thank you again for the opportunity to reflect on your word help us to think deeply and well of you and what you're doing in our world today we pray in jesus name amen well thank you again so much for joining us for our service today let me encourage you uh, to continue to be in touch with people telephone is probably the best way over the back fence if you live amongst neighbors that you know uh, just encourage those who might be isolated. And let me remind you too, as we conclude, 
the opportunity for you to be prayed for through the week by using that little uh, link prayer at WDBC, just an email or a text message through uh, and our team will be praying for whatever needs are shared with us through the week. We may not be able to meet as we usually do but we most certainly can pray. As we do conclude though, we do ask that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon each one now and always. In Jesus' name, Amen.